The Down Below podcast was our last best hope to analyse. A self-contained podcast, who knows how long, located between your ears. A place of discussion and fun for newcomers and veterans alike. A shining download online, all alone on the web. It was the dawn of the third age of podcasting, the year the introcast wars came upon us all. This is the story of a Babylon 5 introcast. The year is 2014. The show, Down Below. Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome to Down Below, a Babylon 5 intro cast. I'm Will. I'm Ed. I'm Heidi. I'm Elizabeth. Today, we are joined by a first-time visitor to our show. Welcome, Brian. Hi, Hi, Brian. Um, So tell us, how did you come to know Babylon 5? I kind of have a different story than a lot of people. I I saw an episode of season four, uh, watched one episode, said, this is stupid, and I (laughs) swore never was going to watch again. And I had a uh, good friend named Josh who lives out here, and he introduced me to the collectible card game. And I actually learned the show through that game and then started uh, catching up and uh, watching all the episodes. I think at that time TNT started airing uh, everything back in order again then and watched every episode that way and uh, fell in love with the show. And I think I probably, oh, I'd say watched the complete show 10, 15 times all the way through now. Oh, nice. oh, wow. <laughs> so you fell in love with the universe before the show then? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, yeah, so a lot of the characters' names I, I know well, but it's because I, you know, because of the cards more so. Cards, so yeah. yeah. Was Clarence on the card game? He was, well, yeah, yeah. So I was screaming at you guys for weeks here. I'm like, it's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Man, I wonder if that card game is still out there easy to find it's kind of it exists a little bit on ebay and then there's uh some groups on facebook and and whatnot i've played it yeah every once in blue moon a bunch of old friends get together and we play every once in a while so what was it about the card game that drew you to well i loved it It, and it really echoed the show in a lot of ways where you would play as one of the races and and you couldn't just win the game by putting a bunch of cards on the table and adding them up and saying i won it really depended on you gathering allies and, and making deals and kind of um, bickering back and forth about it. So, And then it drew me into the interest of the show, and uh, yeah, I went from there. Nice. Definitely sounds like a cool game, actually. And yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's a that's a neat introduction story, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, today, ladies and gentlemen, we are here to discuss episode 16 of season 2, in the shadow of Zaha Doom, but first, here's an ISN special report. Hello, listeners. It's time for another ISN Weekly Gossip Roundup. Rumors have been coming fast and furious about the new Ministry of Peace. Thousands have been joining the Night Watch, and many others have been debating about the true intentions of the organization. But we're not here to talk about that. Let's talk about the fashion. Armbands are the new rage, and anybody who's anybody is wearing one, or two, or three. 
We particularly love the rhinestone and gold version worn by the leader of the Earth Belieber sect. There's even gossip that couture armbands will appear on the runways during New Milan Fashion Week. And now a preview. Our expose on a day in the life of Babylon 5 was our most talked about special yet. And one of the most popular topics was hunky Dr. Stephen Franklin, Babylon 5's med lab chief, and, from what we hear, most eligible bachelor. A lot of our viewers fell for his heart-wrenching story and wanted to see more. Well, we have a treat for you. Coming up next is our exclusive interview with the smart, handsome, and troubled Dr. Franklin. Grab your tissues. of the Midwest, a mystery is brewing. I want you to explain to me why a federal agency would issue a report for a boy who died 32 years ago. In the heart of a family, faith is being tested. The DNA test came back. Jacob is your son, Mr. Lex. In the heart of the listeners, questions will rise. Did I die? Did we all die? Noodle Mix Network, in partnership with MediaVoiceOvers.com, proudly present the one podcast that will get to the heart of what it truly means to be alive. Join Wayne Henderson and Troy Heinrichs for Resurrection Revealed. Watch ABC's Resurrection, then subscribe to get to the heart of each episode. Follow on Twitter at Resurrection Pod and listen all season at ResurrectionRevealed.com. In the Shadow of Zaha Doom originally aired on May 10th, 1995. It was directed by David J. Eagle. He won an Emmy for a CBS Schoolhouse special, and he also won a Hugo for a season three Babylon 5 episode. Hmm. I can't remember which one it was right now. And the episode was written by JMS. I was going to say this last week, but I didn't want to build up any expectations. But when we had sign-ups, this was the most requested episode. Really? It was, yeah. yeah, it was winning by far early on, but then people started signing up for other episodes. And Brian got to it I first. I lucked out, yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> second most requested episode is still to come. Yeah, well, that's a nice hint for the future. But this episode is really important. <laughs> I'm not surprised you got a lot of people signing up for it. I think this is a pivotal episode. I, you know, you you talk a lot about season one and how things change. I think this is the episode where it really kind of pushes this now in a different direction entirely. So let's get started on the recap. So we start out with Garibaldi talking to Zach. They're getting a lot of refugees from the war. They're really swamped, but the captain's order that no one leaves until they're fit for travel. Yeah, I think this is really just there to make sure the audience doesn't forget what's going on, you know, the non-century war. <laughs> well, well, okay. Well, we had a whole thing on it last week. Yeah. On the, uh, I don't know if you guys listened to the commentary from JMS or not. Well, yeah. And he said that there's the same at 10 actors, if you go back and relook at it, that just keep going around and around in the door. <laughs> ah, that's hilarious. <laughs> this commentary is spoilery, I assume. Oh, yeah. Yes, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> I figured. I was, 
And I was trying to remember listening to it, like what stuff has been said on the show already and what hasn't. But yeah, I think I got it straight. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> if we're like, what are you talking about, Will? Severe <laughs> so. goes to speak to Mr. Morden. So you guys were right that he would be in this episode. Yay. He was expecting to see Londo, but Londo's been summoned back to Centauri Prime. Yeah, Mr. Morton has a minor role in this episode. Yeah, yeah. minor. <laughs> can tell that Veer doesn't like Morton, but Morton thinks he should be grateful for the help that he's given, and Morton asks Veer what he wants, and he gives him an answer, which I'm sure will <laughs> be a quote. <laughs> Veer is amazing! Yes. yes. So awesome seeing Veer being firm and it's yeah, great to this, see some development with him. Yes. It really is. And this whole aspect of him, it's just great to see. So Morden gives Veer a data crystal to give to Lundo and dismisses Veer. On the commentary, um, JMS said that he cast Ed Wasser as Morden because he looked like Rod Serling. <laughs> and he had this aura of being more than what he appears to be. He also uh, said, I don't think in this one, but another commentary that he cast him because of his um, used carsman smile. Oh, I was going to yes. say, I was going to say it was because of his Cheshire Cat smile. So there you go. <laughs> I was thinking used car salesman too, like when I was watching it again. Like, wow. Yeah, that one scene, <laughs> that creepy smile on his face. There's nothing behind the eyes. It's just a smile. He, he also talks about how he acts as if there's two great big muscly men behind him and you know he can say whatever he wants because essentially he does <laughs> <laughs> well he like relishes new role i guess i mean what we find out later about what happened i mean he's like really into it you know what I, I wonder mean? how much the actor knew because he really portrayed that character all along as if he had some sort of uh, arrogance about him and some sh- sort of confidence mm-hmm. yeah Garibaldi goes to talk to Captain Sheridan about the refugee situation. Uh, yeah, Sheridan says it's hard to see the Narn so humbled, but he agrees to have, was it the light cases shipped out or are my notes just wrong? I guess the people who have light injuries shipped out. Um, so Garibaldi sees Sheridan looking over stuff about the Icarus, the ship that his wife died on, and Garibaldi starts looking through the crew list and recognizes Mr. Morden. I know that guy. Now, in the commentary, JMS was saying that Bruce Botsleitner brought a lot of compassion to the show in the role of Sheridan, that he was a real workhorse. And he did point out that the Icarus was named after the, you know, the character, the guy that you know, flew too high. Mm-hmm. Wax wings. Yeah. And there is a novel that tells more about the Icarus, one of the Babylon 5 novels. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And apparently there's a story behind uh, the necklace that Mr. Morden wears all the time. I'm oh, not really? going to say it because I haven't read the book myself, but I've heard, yeah, there's actually, you know, there's actually a story behind that necklace. Was JMS involved with the books or? He licensed them, but I, I don't think he wrote any of them. No, he's definitely given approval to some of them and said, yeah, they're legit. Uh, Peter David wrote a trilogy, I think. Yeah. Who's written many episodes so far. Yeah, there's actually um, 
three key trilogies. There's a cycle trilogy, a Centauri trilogy, and another trilogy I'm not actually going to mention. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's a surprise. Yeah, and I think I know which one you're talking about. But um, <laughs> so get the opening credits. It was funny it was the comments JMS was making about the actors and the credits. I can't say all of them, but he didn't like Delin's hair. And he said, he said, Andreas is a god and Peter is a demigod. And his name is Jurassic, not Jurassic. I think it was watching one of the commentaries where I first learned the correct way to say Peter Jurassic. It's so, speaking of Delenn's terror, it's so weird when we see that flashback. And I know. Yeah. It's so different. <laughs> I know. Well, it's not it. just the hair, is it? They gave her all the load of prosthetics on her face as well. Yeah, yeah. It's a good thing they don't flash back to the pilot where. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Sheridan wonders why the security net didn't catch Morden, who's supposed to be dead, but they don't get every death certificate and every from every ship and colony. And since Morden hasn't broken any rules and this information hasn't come out, Logs show that Morden's still on the station and Sheridan wants him found no matter what they have to do so he can get answers. And this is where Sheridan starts to go a bit nuts. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Well, understandably so, given what happened to his wife. It's it's too over the top for me. Yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, I got that from the commentary. Do you still that impression? Do you still feel like it was too over the top now that you've seen the whole episode? Yes. Watching it the second time, I was like, why are you screaming? Yeah. He, I mean, I mean, obviously, he didn't know what Morden was, you know? He just thought he had something. He was just on the ship. So, yeah, he was... He just all of a sudden became obsessed with this. After that, some guy named Pierce Maccabee goes to see Talia... Don't you think uh, this Piers Maccabee reminds you a lot of Tal- uh, sorry, um, Ivanova's ex from season one? Very yeah. much. Yeah. Oh. Maybe a little bit like Talia's ex, just the one that was standing in front of well, his Yeah. 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 So Piers Maccabee is played by Alex Hyde White. I think he's an English actor. He was in an episode of Dexter, and he was on the original BSG and Buck Rogers. Talia mentions a conference, which is probably the one that's talked about in one of the novels called Voices. I think that's the one that she's on the cover of that I haven't read because (laughs) she's on the cover. (laughs) Um, Pearson McAbee wants to talk about what they can do for Earth. He's the director of the newly formed Ministry of Peace, Mini Packs. This is getting crazy. (laughs) Is last week we had, what was it, the... Ministry of something or the Office of what was it? Uh, I can't remember. Was well, some kind of PR thing? Yeah, I can't remember the name of yeah, it. Yeah, um, I can't remember. Off the top. Something like that. But it sounded a little bit worse than that. That's what happens. Everybody yeah. has a, a association or a <laughs> yeah. They're trying to round up support for some new programs. Folks back home want. An environment for peace, not war. So he's going to be giving presentations later on for personnel and station personnel and a few handpicked others. And she says that she'll try to come. Well, she says she'll. <laughs> what? No, I was just getting tongue tied a little bit. Oh, 
<laughs> what was his authority again? He's the director of the Ministry of Peace. But like, okay, so it's well, presumably a government probably, agency yeah. that he's he was appointed. Yeah, and apparently yeah. he's talked with her superiors who want her on board with this. So we can so, presume that the uh, the Psycor has a big deal to do with this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it might be that. And you've got the um, idea that he's not got any direct control over her. It's just that he knows her bosses. Her bosses have said, you might want to listen to this guy. It's a healthy suggestion, probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The name Ministry of Peace is a nod to 1984. Yes, I figured, uh, yeah. In Mad Bay, we see a lot of wounded. Franklin is passed out or dozing off. Ivanova wakes him. Uh, He hasn't slept for 36 hours, so she relieves him of duty, orders him to get six hours of sleep, and then some food after that. (laughs) Special. She should just totally pick out his food. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't until your commentary that I noticed. Yeah, all the Nans seem to have head injuries. I think yeah. it's nice too that we're seeing Ivanova in a commander type role here instead of the comedic relief like we have in these past few episodes too. And you, you can see she's good at her job. Right. Yeah, I like the way she smiled after he left, but then she looked over the wounded and her expression immediately changed. Nice touch. Yeah. These two actors apparently were good friends off camera. They were always clowning around, according to commentary. Who mean Franklin and Ivanova? Yeah. Okay. I want to see Franklin clowning around. Hey, please. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> that's on the blooper reel. <laughs> uh, so Zach is scanning identity cards, and he scans Morden's card, and they end up apprehending Morden. Zach is really getting a bigger and bigger role in this show. Yeah. They told a story on the commentary about the convention. Do you remember that? I think it was um, Bruce Boxleitner and Jeff Conaway were at a convention with JMS. And I guess maybe a lot of girls were starting to come toward them. And Bruce Boxleitner was like, yeah, they recognized me from the show. But then the girls started yelling, Kaniki, Kaniki. <laughs> <laughs> so next we see Sheridan sitting across from Morden questioning him and jms goes on complaining about the small table in the scene yeah he definitely does the small table oh yeah he just thought it should be like a larger table he said i'm going to get over this one of these days <laughs> <laughs> it's a really strange thing to have a problem with yeah it's like i created this great show but i'm harping on these little details but see he's wrong in real interrogations it's a tiny table too yeah. Oh, really, Brian? Why yeah. do you need a big table? I mean, <laughs> it's not made to make them comfortable, I can tell you that much. Can I you? That, yeah. It sounds like you have a story. I'm, well, I'm a criminal <laughs> defense attorney, so I see oh. this quite often. <laughs> ah. So you're probably like all upset. You're probably like, he should have a lawyer. He shouldn't be talking, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But, of course, he's completely overconfident because he does have his lawyers with him. (laughs) (laughs) We just can't see or hear him. It talked about how on this show they had to reuse a lot of sets, so Sheridan's office ended up being reused a lot. So, yeah, they told him he had to use a small table because if they used a long table, then people would realize it was just the same set being reused or something like that. No, they wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) 
poor Sheridan. First he yeah. to get kicked out of his quarters, and now they're using his office for the interrogation room. <laughs> Old prisoners. <laughs> well, if you notice the next scene as well, the kind of metal looks a lot like his office as well. Yeah, that is. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. That makes sense, I guess. You gotta... The Morden knows he can't be held without being charged. Sheridan shows him a picture of his wife. Morden says he doesn't know what it means. Then he shows him a news report of the Icarus, and he's like, oh, that. <laughs> I love that reaction. Oh, that. <laughs> Morden says he was on board, but he doesn't remember what happened, doesn't know how he survived, and he blames the shock and trauma for his memory loss. And it was a few months before he remembered his name and... He sent a message to Earth Central, but they must not have gotten it. So he tries to leave, and Sheridan stops him. Says, you're supposed to be dead, so you don't have any rights or legal recourse. And Morton warns him that doing this could cost him his command, but Sheridan knows something doesn't add up and wants to find out what happened. Did you really believe him at this point, you guys? No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's so clearly bullshitting here. Well, yeah, yeah but I'm looking for wishes. <laughs> yeah, he has some powers there. I just don't get it. Like, I guess I'm jumping ahead, but just hit on his actions and how he's responding to Sheridan. It seems like he is either really bought into his role as a liaison or he he somehow can be killed or something. Um, if he doesn't, com- you know, if he doesn't, uh, I don't know, keep it a secret. But I don't know how he could be. Bit of both, maybe, because we are told later that he'll be killed if he reveals the truth. But I think he's also brought into the whole role he's got here. Because he does actually have a fair bit more power than he used to have, you're right. Well, yeah, and he's he's sort of aligned with the most powerful beings in the universe. So I guess he figures he's on the winning side if he sticks with them. And so far, he's the only representative we've seen of that race. Mm, so far. JMS did mention that after season two of this season, Warner Brothers stopped giving him notes because they trusted him to do what he wanted to do. Oh, okay. Good for him. So Ivanova or Franklin are talking in Sheridan's office, redressed as a mess hall. <laughs> um, and JMS is complaining in this as well, saying, look at the big table they've got in here. Why can't they use one of these, basically? <laughs> <laughs> And I felt like you could tell that that was his office. And I don't understand, because yeah. we've seen the mess hall before, too, especially in season one. Yeah, but that was shot from a different angle, so it didn't quite look so obvious, I think. Yeah. I didn't and, like the uh, blocking in this, either. When he stands up and he starts giving a speech, that felt odd and off-putting. Yeah, it, was, it, it didn't seem quite natural. But this scene... Are talking about Franklin? Or? Yeah, when yeah. he stands up and he oh, gives yeah. a speech. Yeah. That just seemed like Franklin to me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Because he's giving position. It, it's going to be interesting to see your point of view on this because some of what he says here, I don't feel quite fits with what he went through in Believers and his attitude towards things there. Yeah. I agree, but it, is this trying to show how much he's getting worn down and beaten up a little bit? I suppose I you know, may the, have, but I may have almost fallen asleep both times. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I'd have gotten the complete just uh, right. to say. Uh, well, basically, that he, his belief is um, this thing called foundationalism, which sprung up a hundred years ago after they made contact with aliens. 
and that uh, basically he thinks there's no one word or name of God and that, you know, everyone's belief basically believing the same thing, but we can't really define what that thing is. Yeah, and we've seen, like, we've seen him kind of hint at his faith or lack thereof before. Like, it's always been sort of a mystery when he has spoken of what he believes. So I guess we finally got that, but when we did, I didn't really care. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I'll have to read that yeah. again. It's, it's weird because a lot of what he says sounds like if he went through what he went through, believers, he would have had much more respect for the parents' own personal beliefs. Mm-hmm. It, it, well, maybe that, he thinks that personal beliefs... I don't know. I'm, never mind. I don't want to... Maybe he thinks I, he's always right, though, too. Well, he yeah. does. That's yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I said that a lot of doctors like this speech. What happens when the patient dies? Oh. Um, and I go to the next scene then. Um, Sheridan is questioning Morden more. He doesn't like the answers he's getting. Morden says he doesn't remember a lot, and Sheridan says he's better remember because by the time he's done, Morden will wish he had died on the Icarus. Well, maybe this is going a little bit too far. <laughs> Yeah. I just couldn't buy it all. I mean, yeah. I just don't think that... I don't know. He's, it, it, he always still has that kind of golden retriever face. So it's hard to like get like scary vibe from him. Well, and he's, okay. never, he's never shown himself to have such a temper before. Like, I put in my notes something about Sheridan took too much Hulk juice that morning. I mean, he just... He seriously was just out of control. Or skipped his uh, daily orange juice. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> Keeps him calm. Next, Pierce Maccabee is speaking to a crowd in Sheridan's office, redressed again. And he says the Ministry of Peace is about making peace within themselves. And so they started a volunteer organization called the Night Watch, whose purpose is to detect possible problems. And members will receive an extra 50 credits per week. Mainly what you're supposed to do is be present wearing the colors of the Night Watch raise awareness because they want to protect society from its own worst instincts. That doesn't sound like a horrible idea at all. <laughs> it, this just comes, I, I don't know, this kind of comes weirdly out of, I don't want to say out of nowhere, but it was just, I don't it, know, it just... It didn't came. really go with anything else in this episode, so it just kind of felt like, okay, why exactly are we seeing this now? Yeah, it's it, this transition to what I presume is going to be like a totalitarian 1984 type uh, vibe, uh, fascist type vibe that's going on is is kind of coming in little fits and jerks, and uh, it's not the best. I, I don't know. I do see what you mean, but I kind of I got the feeling it's more about tone that you know we're. This is an episode about revealing secrets, revealing things that have been going on in the background that are just starting to touch our characters. I think Nightwatch has been in place on Earth for maybe the past six months, maybe more. And um, it's only now being rolled out to places like Babylon 5. And this reveal, coupled with the reveal later from Delenn changes the tone of things going forward it's 
yes, you know, the fact that they're together in the same episode, story-wise, might not make sense, but tone, if you think of the tone, that makes complete sense for me. Yeah. There was something said. He said, make them think about peace. And I was like, okay, so does he want Talia to, like, put peace into people's heads? I mean, is that how far they're going? Well, he did say they could betray themselves by thought, so it's, you know, almost tipping on the toes of thought police there. Yeah, but even, like, even, uh, yes, like, uh, picking out people based on what they're thinking is going really far, but actually forcing them to think a certain way is going even farther. Mm. But what would I be their that... end game? I assume the psych, I'm just assuming the psych core is kind of behind this. What would be their end game with just creating something to make people think peaceful thoughts? Then they can go even farther and make people think whatever they want. But the whole, I guess, sniffing out problems before they occur. Yeah, I guess. Find people who they think Hmm. might be doing something. It's just a weird, awkward way to, to do this because they're bringing in like elements like armbands and I don't know it just seems really awkward to me this whole thing it just doesn't really I can see kind of where they're going or they're what they're referencing here but uh... I think this is also another role of the speech later about commentary that although the context doesn't apply the fact that he's talking with Zach about what he calls ancient earth history and Zach's saying oh I never really looked at that so You've got the impression it might be a bit clunky from our point of view, but we're what we're really close to a time where those symbols were really prevalent, and this is a few centuries later where it seems a lot of people have forgotten about the relevance of them. Yes, but it's also a TV show being made for our time, and I felt they went too far explaining the history. I was like, okay, I could pick up on that. I got it. Don't right. hit me over the head with it. And this is the second week in a row, and I, I don't think it's spoiler at all, but there's a lot of World War II references here. We're getting yeah. the bands, yeah. we're talking about Never Forget. I, I think that's more and more coming up. Yeah. And I wonder if even they're bringing, like, the whole idea of, you know, how the Centauri um, appear to be, you know, how kind of like the World War II, you know, with uh, Germany invading Poland and stuff. I mean, I wonder if that's even a sort of a, a reference to it. I mean, the Centauri, you know, sort of doing what they want to do on their own and taking over. I don't know. Well, and it, the excuse they originally gave that was, um, uh, what's it, regaining land that was actually meant to be theirs, you know. And um, internally it was a return to power, a return to, you know, the renaissance of, an, you know, an empire that Germany had lost. So there are parallels, yeah? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Next, Sheridan goes to speak to Garibaldi. He thinks he's getting to Morden, but Garibaldi doesn't like what's going on because he plays things by the books when he's in his office as security chief. Uh, he, I mean, unless he has a personal thing, then he'll just yeah, play. yeah. <laughs> uh, Garibaldi offers to follow Morden, but Sheridan doesn't want to let him go. And Garibaldi says he can't be around while something like this is going on. So. He ends up resigning as chief of security after 
giving Sheridan of choice a choice. I think that was pretty effective scene and showing where Sheridan is going with this, like how far he's willing to take this. And mm-hmm. I like seeing right. Garibaldi say that, you know, kind of stuff. Well, they eventually show, you know, pretty much everyone is against him and and realizes, like us, that he's completely lost it. <laughs> yeah. Do you think he would, Garibaldi would have backed up Sinclair and Morrison's They've had more of a history together. I was kind of thinking that, yeah, yeah probably. Well, maybe, you know, you might have switched the Ivana and Garibaldi roles in this. You know, Ivana might have resigned and Garibaldi would have, you know, tried to argue him out of it. Uh-huh, yeah. Because I think that Garibaldi knew Sinclair well enough to know that if he completely went off the handle like this, that there was a really good reason for it, where with Sheridan... And I think we saw it, too. It's more just like, okay, he's lost it. You know, um, we we don't really have a, a background to know that he doesn't do this. And so there must be a really good reason for it, I guess. I'm just, I'm just starting to wonder if this is how he reacts now, finding out about Morden. How did he react when he heard of his wife's death? <laughs> yeah. Was Captain the Agamemnon at the time? Did he take the Agamemnon rogue off somewhere? He went looking for her shit. I don't know. Yeah, but at that, I, that time he didn't have any options. Right now he has Mordenson in front of him too. Right. Yeah, yeah, that is a point. Sheridan puts. Oh yeah, Sheridan put Zach in charge of the prisoner. For now, saying Garibaldi's on a brief leave of absence. So he gets a call saying that Veer needs to speak to him urgently. But before he leaves, he tells Zach to find Talia. And JMS says in the commentary about how he talks about how he, you know, brought on Sheridan. He wanted him to be happy and ask for oranges and be friendly and everything. And but now you're, this episode, you're seeing a little bit of a different side of him. So Sheridan goes to see Veer in his office. Another nice scene with Beer this is, isn't it? Yeah. Beer knows they have Mr. Morton. He has orders to ask for Morton's immediate release. Sheridan won't do it. He won't tell them why they have him. And Beer explains that he's an official guest of this entire republic. Sheridan wants to know why he's so important, but Beer won't say why. And Sheridan says they're holding him in protective custody and diplomatic immunity only applies when someone's charged with a crime. One thing I liked about this scene was how Veer starts shrinking back when Sheridan's, you know, talking to him, walking towards him. Yeah, it almost as if he's been conditioned by Londo. Yeah, because he was so brave earlier, but he yeah. talks to Sheridan. Still, he, he, he does a really good job. He's actually, you, you see that, you know, no matter what he is and personality wise he's efficient at his job yeah couldn't find mr morden i like to how we've seen sheridan bend the rules around. and and we've enjoyed it because it was you know for a good cause and this time he's using his cunningness but it's it's not for such a noble task and we can see how it can go the other way too yeah so walking through the corridor sheridan runs into ivanova She's heard from Garibaldi, and she thinks he's being irrational. He says he has to do this so he can find out what happened to his wife, thinks Morden might actually be the one that killed her. 
And eventually Susan admits that she too probably wouldn't let him go if she were in Sheridan's position. Sheridan thinks that if Morton is alive, his wife might be alive too. That was my first thought when uh, when Garibaldi recognized Morton. And yeah. I was like, oh, well, if the Icarus people didn't die, this is going to be the episode where Sheridan's wife comes back. <laughs> Another family member returns. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was a zombie. <laughs> so Talia says that she can't do an unauthorized scan, so she can't help him. And when she leaves, Sheridan tells Zach to take Morton to a holding cell and escort Talia to her quarters on a path that will put her in the same hall as Morton. Sneaky, sneaky. Very sneaky. Yeah. That's just... I'm just laughing because I'm remembering Talia's reaction later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's just she's got minor role in this, but it's kind of important. <laughs> yeah, I had no problem with Talia in this episode, surprisingly. Wow. <laughs> See, I did. Like oh, he's talking a little bit head. Yeah, but uh, I thought everyone else acted really well in this episode, and I can't stand her scene in, in, when she's in med lab right after this. <laughs> It's completely overacted. Oh, and yes, I, I kind of agree. Like her whole reaction to seeing him and yeah. Yeah, I kind of Yeah. <laughs> I've just gotten used to her again. <laughs> did like the she did like the home alone hands to the side of the face, mouth open. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, so in the corridor she and Morden cross paths and we see Morden's face appears dark and shadowy like when Delin saw him in Signs Importance. So she sees shapes and faints. <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. she's just afraid of spiders. Yeah. But these look more like giant grasshoppers or something. Giant eating well, grasshoppers. Yes. Yes. I thought, oh, these are uh, Negrath's relatives. Yeah, exactly. Little giant. Yeah, praying mantises. Mm-hmm. Ooh, maybe the grass is a remnant of the shadow. Maybe. <laughs> then he can come back, right? Yeah. I miss him. I think JMS referred to them as spiders in the um, commentary. <gasps> These guys? The non-spidery yeah. ones? <laughs> well, they are... By the end of the episode, we learned these are shadows. You know, these are the race they call the shadows, but... Yeah, they've got an interesting shape. They're kind of spider-like, but they're also different kind of insectoid. They're not quite spider-like because they've got the pincers and things like those. that. Oh, yeah, he was talking about why people don't bump into them in the halls. He was like, yeah, I mean, you spider, they're quick. You know, you see a spider, how fast it is. Is he joking? No, you see a spider, you scream. <laughs> <laughs> is he saying they're corporeal? Yeah, because I just thought people like walked through them. Yeah, I didn't think they were. Invisible. Yeah, well, that's actually what I thought. Bugatti mentioned that. I'm not sure. I'm personally, even as a experienced viewer, I'm not sure. It's never really that clear. Hmm. Uh, 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 it's minor spoiler. Sorry, I just realised that. That's okay. Oh, but it's yeah. Hmm. In Med Bay, Talia explains how she felt. Uh, she said, falling in a bottomless well. And <laughs> and I love Elizabeth's reaction during the commentary on that, <laughs> about the metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> she thought she... Sh- 
Good evening. She says she says uh, she thought she saw a shape, and she says it was probably nothing though. Uh, that's oh, what I'm sure I it hate. Was nothing. Shapes are nothing. It's fainted. <laughs> yeah, God, I hate that in TV shows and movies. Like, what's wrong? It was nothing, but it really clearly was something. So Sheridan comes to apologize and she slaps him, which was a real slap. The actress really got into that scene. <laughs> you kind of see JMS, as you can kind of see in um, Bruce Botlightner's reaction, because they use the first take. He kind of has this look on his face like, what the hell? <laughs> Franklin's trying to hold back a grin and Sheridan realizes that there's more to mortar than he thought. And Franklin gives him some advice about trying to fix everything. The fact that he's like, it just makes his reaction to Morden in the in the beginning seem even worse because he had no idea that he was involved with anything bad or evil. He just thought he had maybe some information about his wife's ship. And now that well, he, he actually he actually um, was saying that he actually thought perhaps Morden might have killed his wife and everyone else on the Icarus. But he had no evidence of that. Yeah, and now, all, yeah. Now that he does, his reaction is still just as over the top, which I feel like now, if he would have escalated a little bit, now maybe it's warranted. But before, it wasn't. Right. I, I see where you're going here. That, you know, there wasn't any build-up. Yeah. He was just Hulk mad from the very beginning. <laughs> JMS described them as a, a dog with a bone in his mouth, and I think that's a good description. If the of dog them hates episode. that bone, yeah, <laughs> a very mean dog, but yeah. Well, that's the second um, time he's been referred to as a dog. You know, first the golden retriever, now this. <laughs> <laughs> and I love dogs, so maybe that's too generous. <laughs> so when he leaves, Delin and Kosh stop him and tell him that he must release Morden at once or everyone will be in terrible danger. Okay, First of all, like, happened... can we talk about the... What? Go. Go. I was just going to say, can we talk about the important part? Dylan looked fabulous. <laughs> uh, JMS apologized for her hair in this scene. No, it looked good! <laughs> oh, okay. Heidi, I'm sure it was... When this happened, it was like, okay... Seriously, why is everybody so intent on him letting him go? <laughs> <laughs> um, they agree to give him the answers, and they warn him that once he knows what they've known for the past three years, he won't rest easy again. I like how Kosh backed out of this. <laughs> oh, that was so funny! <laughs> like he's backing down the corridor. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. <laughs> So are we to presume that Delenn knew that Kosh was an old one from the very beginning then? She just didn't know the shadows were back? Um, I don't think she... Well, he did some... Um, I think she, she, as a member of the Grey Council, would have known what the Vorlons are and what, therefore, Kosh is. And then at the end of season one, she sent that question to him, asking about the shadows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I'm just, maybe I'm jumping ahead, but I'm just wonder why Kosh became an ambassador to Babylon 5 in the first place. I wonder if he knew something was going to happen. I mean, it seems like he has all this, like, foresight. <laughs> uh, JMS said that 
He talked about how you uh, never see Kosh going through a door because he doesn't fit. <laughs> see, um, and they hated that costume of his so much that when they wrapped up filming on the show, they hooked it to the back of a car and drove it through the parking lot. Aww. Um, let's see some, had a couple of notes. Yeah, so this Delenn speech in the next scene kind of mirrors what Jakar said to Catherine Sakai about how there's some racists that see us as ants and like that. And he said they were able to do these kind of long scenes after Warner Brothers let them alone, these kind of long speeches. Yeah, I know you've not been a fan of the speeches so far, but this is kind of important. Mm-hmm. When you good. when you listen to the cast commentaries, they always joke about how whenever Delenn starts his speech with a, a thousand years, they always knew that they were in for a long one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you've noticed the theme of a thousand years, that has come up quite a couple of times by now. No, I haven't. Oh, maybe it's been so subtle that you only pick up on it the second time round. But uh, yeah, it's... You know, it's been mentioned a few times before. Like how? Jakar does. Jakar, the Akarans, they were fighting a war a thousand years ago. When you said said Jakar, what about Jakar? When he refers to the book of Jaquan, yeah. Yeah, Jaquan writes about this ancient enemy coming to Narn a thousand years ago. Mm. Oh. Wait, did I they said, say the last war was 10,000 years ago? The last great war, as in the last big war between all of the first ones that was meant to be. And then a thousand years ago, you had another war between younger races like the Membari and then a few other first ones that hadn't quite uh, gone away by that point. Mm. Uh, JMS said that one of the elements of mythology is that we are echoes of a greater time when everybody was more powerful, so they wanted to make this story more mythic, kind of where this comes in. Yeah, so she says, you know, they're beings billions of years older than either of their races, and they used to walk among the stars, and they taught the younger races, explored beyond the rim, created empires, but over a million years, the first ones went away, and some... In a way, where? This is a science fiction show. I need to know the, this. The, they talk, when they talk about Beyond the Rim, they're talking about Beyond the Rim of this galaxy. Just this galaxy. galaxy. Yeah. So, yeah, our story is confined to this galaxy. No one goes Beyond the Rim unless okay. they're incredibly powerful. Yeah. Okay. So, not all the first ones went away. A few stayed behind waiting for the day when they may be needed when the shadows come again. The shadows were old even when the ancients were young, battled over a million years. The last great war was 10,000 years ago, and this was the last time the ancients walked openly among them. The shadows were defeated, not destroyed. A thousand years ago, the shadows returned to their places of power and began to rebuild, but before they could strike, they were defeated by an alliance of worlds, including the Minbari and the few remaining first ones who had not yet passed beyond the veil. And there's one of them still left, and Sinclair wants to know where. And, and then he, was, like, uh, conveniently walks closer over to Kosh so that Kosh. they can frame it all. 
Yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> just looks at Kosh. Yeah. Oh, and then the light bulb goes off. <laughs> okay, question. If Kosh is one of the, or or the last remaining of the Ancient Ones, then what were those giant creatures in Season 1? Oh, the walkers. Um, walkers of Sigma 957? I guess, Who yeah. Knows? This is a difficult episode not to be spoiled. Spoiled. Yeah. About. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but when she but when she says the last remaining of the first one, she's we're talking about the Vorlons, not just Kosh. Okay, yeah. You mean the Vorlons are the last remaining. Right. Not just, Kosh is not the only Vorlon left. Is that what right. you're saying? Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, because we've seen the Vorlons come in oh. I mean we haven't seen other Vorlons, but they came in in their ship that one time, yet. right? Well, right. right. Um, but they came in in their ship and blew up whoever that was. I can't remember. Yeah, Deathwalker. Yeah. Deathwalker? Deathwalker with the name tag. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So the Vorlons are old, but the spiders are older. Right? Or that's they're both eat about the I mean, that's what we're getting from this conversation, whether that's yeah. true or yeah, not. That's what we're yeah. meant to believe right now. Okay. And they've been warring uh, for a long time. Yeah, millions. Well, why would everybody, and I'm, obviously this is not like a question you can answer, but I'm just wondering, like, why would, he said everyone would recognize him. What does that mean? Yeah, yeah that's why you can't leave this suit. Save that for uh, spoilers and speculation, I think. Yeah, that, that was interesting. So for centuries, the Vorlons were the last remaining guardians watching and waiting. And then she talks about how last year she sent Kosh a message through Lanier. And the answer to the question that she asked was yes. And the question was, have the shadows returned to Zaha Doom? Okay. I really loved that like we got the flashback so that we knew what was going on. But I hated the way that it was told in the narrative. Oh, I know story. that's hilarious. That like Delenn actually told him that <laughs> this <laughs> that this was the answer to this question, and he has to ask what was the question. Exactly, really? that was so hilarious. <laughs> and why was it in black and white? <laughs> because Hello, all flashbacks are in black and white. Oh, <laughs> Apparently, man. nine months ago is a very, very long time. It is. It is. Yes, before color, really. <laughs> well, before hair. <laughs> Hair and color came at the same time. So Sheridan remembers Zaha Doom as the name of the place that Jakar has been telling him about all year. And then Kosh says, Sheridan, learn, and then shows Sheridan a video feed or something. I don't know <laughs> what that was. Of, um... Can I ask a question, though? Okay, so basically they're gathering their forces, or for what we know, the shadows are centered around this area of Zaha Doom, okay? But is, haven't they, they've acted outside of that, right? Like when they killed that Centauri ship where the guy was stealing the thing? Yeah, the eye. Yeah. That wasn't Zaha Doom. No. No, but um, one thing that has been going on is slowly you've been seeing slightly more of those ships. First time it was only one, then it was two... Three and last time there were four, but you've not been seeing many of them at all. But like for for a race that's trying to be on the DL, there seem to be like going out of their way to help the Centauri. 
and potentially expose themselves in the process. They they seem to be doing everything they can to make it seem like the Centauri are doing all of this. Uh huh. Well, except for that, what I just mentioned that. Yeah, except for the first one, which it was only a, a raider thing, so no one seems to care about it. I suppose. Yeah. But then they retrieved that. Um, yeah, the the eye. the eye. The eye. Yeah. But so if you remember. Anyone that's seen these ships is now dead, too. Oh, yeah. Well, except for... Somebody saw them. Well, Kefir saw them, right? Yeah, but Kefir's not talking to anyone about what he Kefir's saw. Kefir hasn't been on. <laughs> <laughs> and no one believes what Dakar saw, so... <laughs> those yeah, are the only it's... two people yeah. that have survived, and yeah. And, <laughs> There's and two they're... reasons why... No one's really talking about these mm. things. Okay. Sheridan sees how the Icarus arrived at Zahadum and awakened the shadows. And once they were awakened, the shadows couldn't allow them to leave because they could warn others. So those who would not serve were killed. And Again, what what were they awakening them from? What some kind this? of sleep. Or... This presumably happened just a couple of years ago. Well, right. I think it um, happened five years ago, according to um, the timeline. Uh-huh, okay. Um, you, I think so, anyway. I think you're right, because when Sheridan's sister came on board, they said, it's, it's been like four years now, let it go. Mm. And that was earlier in the year, so it's mm-hmm. more than five at this point. So this is all happening, their gathering forces is happening as a result of them arriving on that planet then? It seems that way. Okay, right. Mm-hmm. Or they were in some um, sort of hibernation. As, can, as far as I can think of, I don't think we know whether there's anything else that woke them up. Clearly the moral of this series is exploring is not good. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sheridan thinks that maybe some of them may have been kept alive, uh, but Delin says that Morden must be released and- how Kosh knows what he knows about the Icarus is explained in one of the novels. Apparently. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, there's no confirmation that his his wife uh, didn't uh, decide to help the shadows. Yeah. So, Sheridan wants to know how he she can ask uh, him to let Morden go, and she says because uh, last time the shadows lost because they moved too quickly, but now they're being careful and. If Morden ends up giving up his information, they'll know he'll be killed and you'll be killed and the shadows will move now before we're ready for them. And they'll know because Morden is never alone. And right now they're on their own. Other than the Vorlons, they don't have any other first ones to help them. So billions will die. So he has to think of something more than himself. Sheridan does. And she tells him to remember the time he told Jakar to decide between revenge and the good of his own people, so he has to make that same decision himself. Yeah, um, I'm sure there's plenty more we could discuss here, but you should really save it for spoilers. Yeah. Not spoilers, uh, for predictions. <laughs> because a lot of what we could say would be spoilers. There's a question about why did Delin demand to see Kosh in season one, and that was because she wanted to assure herself that the Vorlons who she'd never met before were who she believed them to be and that this was a true Vorlon and not a pretender. 
Not a knuckling feeder. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess there was a question about why, um, oh no, maybe you talked on, no, maybe, I can't remember where I saw this, but why the first ones left and some just got bored after millions of years. Um, and some is just like, why do you cut down old trees to make room for new ones? So let the younger races have the galaxy, I guess. So Sheridan goes, I'm um, sorry, Zach goes to see Sheridan in Garibaldi's office. He tells a story about World War II that's, that mirrors the decision that he has to make about letting Morden go. How? Is, sorry? How does it mirror his decision? Yeah, that's what, well, you know, the second time I watched the episode, I was like, how does this relate to what's going on? But I guess it's just having to make a tough decision, even if it's not the it's doing something that you don't really want to do, but have to do for the better of everyone else. It has vague relevance. But the other problem is the story's not actually true. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, I was kind of looking at that. Yeah, I was, saw that. This online. story, I was in college, and this story, I, I had to write a paper at that time period, and I got all inspired. I was like, I'm going to write it on this this issue at hand and researched it, and there's there's no, there's nothing back in this story whatsoever. <laughs> well, well um, you know, there's plenty of... Uh, TV channels and movies that kind of rewrite history. One of them succeeded. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's talked about how Jeff, Jeff Conaway was supposed to only be in one episode, but they liked him and kept him on, and he never stopped being a cheerleader for B5. I think this is a good scene for Zach Allen, too, because sometimes yeah. he gets labeled as maybe not so bright or dumb. Uh, but he's just much more, he's not a big picture kind of guy. I, I think he does his job and that's all he wants to do too. And it also reflects on the whole, he's going to wear an R-band for 50 extra dollars. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's not actually paid attention to what was going on. He was probably playing on his phone or something after he heard the 50 credits. <laughs> <laughs> they hear a sound from the room Morden is in. Sheridan remembers what Delenn said about Morden never being alone and Tells Zach to scan different wavelengths, and Sheridan sees two shadows in the room with Morden, but Zach doesn't see it. He tells Zach that he only sees lowercase shadows and tells him to cut Morden loose. And I was like, play it again, play it again. And the second <laughs> time, I did pause. <laughs> this may be a little spoilery, but I think JMS said something in the commentary about, I guess if they never used this method to detect shadows again is because they purposely forgot about it. I guess it would be too easy to find them this way. Well, yeah, you just play the video feed on a different frequency. Yeah. Yeah. Well, isn't it that they just know they're there now, too? Uh, maybe so. And you see Morden, you know they're around. Yeah, this yeah, is um, a creepy look on Morden's face. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Looked you in your commentary, you thought Morden was levitating. He looked like he was <laughs> levitating. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the use of the lowercase shadows has been going on since the beginning, and it's it's a really good thing when you go back a second time to hear all the mentions of shadows and know what people are talking about, or hinting towards, at least in the script. I think we talked about it once, maybe in one of our spoiler episodes, but I think they had uppercase shadows in one episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The first time we saw them. Well, if you think about it, um, the prediction that he'll be killed by shadows came true. 
Yeah, it was in the closed caption. I think it had uppercase shadow. Yeah, yeah. What's his um The uh, guy who was originally taking the eye back was killed by shadows. Yeah. So her prediction came true. I can't remember the name of the um, character, but... Yeah, it was, uh, it was Lady Ladera, but I can't remember yeah, his name. Right. Was it Lord Vallow, or is that a different one? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, again, when uh, Sinclair sent the message to Garibaldi early in the season, watch out for shadows, they move when you're not looking. Now we, Now we know about the shadows. <laughs> We can infer that Sinclair also knows about the shadows. Well, he is living on Mimbar, so... Yeah. Uh, I just think it's a nice little thing that you... I mean, there's so much more to experience when you go back a second time, but those are the sort of things you can look forward to finding. And and it's the beauty of this show, when you start seeing that these little seeds have been planted here and there, and especially for Heidi and Elizabeth. If you go back and rewatch that first time warden shows up a lot of things are going to start clicking now and even more so in the future yeah yeah i already want to go back and watch that because i was like okay i want to know i want to like specifically remember what happened when he talked to kosh because it, it, it like it's vaguely there but yeah i want to see it again in he fact didn't. i didn't do that kosh, kosh shoot him away if you're that's right like yeah. he sees him but he doesn't yeah, I'm not. I'm gonna, I'm not going to tell you because you're going to go back and watch it. But <laughs> I'll say something. Okay. Which? What's the title of that episode? That so was important. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Title episode of that series, and although, although this isn't the title episode of the series, it's just as important. Mm-hmm. Right. I would hope so. Yeah. Next, Sheridan goes to see Garibaldi and tells Garibaldi that he was right, but he won't say why. And Garibaldi says, so you'll listen to me next time. And Sheridan says, there won't be a next time. So Garibaldi's taking his old job back. And Zach comes to see Garibaldi, and Zach is wearing the colors of the Night's Watch. Is it Night? He has Night Watch, not Night's Watch, like (laughs) in Game of Thrones. (laughs) I was like, what? I know that from somewhere. (laughs) But it is the same Nightwatch as in uh, Terry Pratchett at Moorpork. I haven't read that. (laughs) Although they don't wear armbands, so, you know, but it's, you know, it's Terry Pratchett. It's cool. (laughs) Sheridan goes to visit Kosh, telling him that he let Morden go, but his price is that he wants to learn how to fight them because he's eventually going to go to Zahadun to stop them. And Kosh warns him against going to Zahadun. But Sheridan says if he does die, he won't go easily. And Kosh agrees to teach him. That's the end of the episode. Yeah. There is a question about whether Kosh's line about going to Zahadun was a warning or a threat. And JMS said, yes, <laughs> oh, of course he did. Mm-hmm. And Bruce Bosleitner said that this was his most challenging episode to date because there was a lot of personal issues that his character's dealing with. Yep, I'd say. <laughs> All right, are we ready to do quotes of the week? Yep. You can start us out, Brian. All right, I'm going to try to do it justice, but you guys know which one I'm going to pick. Uh, Mr. Warren asks, what do you want? And Veer replies, I'd like to live just long enough to be there when they cut off your head and stick it on a pike. As a warning to the next 10 generations that some favors come with a high, too high of a price. 
I would look up at your lifeless eyes and wave with this famous three-finger wave, <laughs> just like this. Can you and your associates arrange that for me, Mr. Morton? Best quote of the episode. It's it's probably his best quote. (laughs) It's definitely one of his best quotes, yeah. I have one. Dylan, that is why Kosh cannot leave his encounter suit. He would be recognized. Sheridan, recognized by whom? Kosh, everyone. It's nice and cryptic. Yeah. If you want cryptic, I'll do Kosh. (laughs) If you go to us, I'll do you and I. I can't do Kosh because I can't do reverse speak. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll do uh, I'll do Sheridan's line after that. Then I die, but I will not go down easily. I will not go down alone. Will you teach me? I think he just looks at him after that, doesn't he? No, I think Kosh says yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like you said earlier, you're going to teach me, so teach me for real. <laughs> <laughs> Any other quotes? It may not have been the best episode for quotes, but they're long is the problem. I have one more that there are beings in the universe billions of years older than either of our races. Once long ago they walked along the stars like giants, vast and timeless. They taught the younger races, explored beyond the rim, created great empires. But to all things there is an end. Slowly, over millions of years, the first ones went away. Some passed beyond the stars, never to return. Some dis- simply disappeared. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's it's one of those things that that is a great quote, but like a lot of what we hear about, uh, um, sorry, uh, I've lost my train of thought there. We're <laughs> <laughs> uh, we ready for characters of the week. Sure. Yeah. Who is our human of the week? I'll start and and. My human actually isn't in the episode that much, but I, I would get the Garibaldi. Uh, I think he made the right choice at the beginning. I think Jerry Doyle uh, had a fantastic episode in the way he acted and the way he portrayed it. I voted for Zach. Hmm. Zach. Uh, I'm just trying to avoid voting for Sheridan. So <laughs> I can't I was, vote for Sheridan. See, Sheridan's the antagonist of this episode. Yeah. I, I don't think he's yeah. actually going to go more Morden. Actually. Yeah, I think I'm going to go Morden. I forget that he's human. Maybe I'm trying to. Yeah, he was Alien human. of the Week on episode, and we didn't say. <laughs> yeah. But, I it's been definitely confirmed, go but it's been confirmed now that he's human, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. He, uh, he's uh, well, uh, what's it, Human of the Week this week. Okay. Morden, no final pick. So who is Alien of the Week? Via! Via! Via. It's either Via or Kosh for V. It's like if Kosh is in the episode, you have to consider him at least. Right. <laughs> but that that quote from Via wins the episode hands down. Yeah. He it's not even a it. quote. It's just a simple wave. Oh, yeah. It's a way. It's the whole conversation with Morden. It's great. Yeah. He, he, he just doesn't have time for Morden at all. Yeah, he was no. so annoyed and impatient. Like, what are you, like, what are you calling me here for? Okay, so Morden and Beer. Sounds like an episode, just those two. <laughs> so let's rate the episode. Um, Want to start us out, Brian? Yeah, it, it, this is a little bit tough because... I agree that the stuff of Sheridan was against this character. Um, but there's so much meat to this episode and there's so much answers that we got from it and more questions. Um, I'm actually going to give this a 
nine three finger wave out of ten. <laughs> awesome. Nice. Uh, how about you, Heidi? Uh, this one is tough to rate because if it was just based on like the information that we get, which is amazing, and like seeing the shadows and everything, then it would be a ten out of ten. But then there's the other parts of the episode where I hate Dr. Franklin's speeches and I I don't like that Sheridan was just so over the top and this whole weird whatever's going on with Talia and this this group of peace and whatever they are. Um, so that brings it down. Um, so I'm going to go... Oh... Eight out of ten. Um, I didn't come up with one beforehand. Eight out of ten long historical speeches. Nice. Uh, what do you think, Elizabeth? I'm pretty much like exactly on the same wavelength as Heidi. Like, I feel like this is a very important episode. I can tell it's a very important episode, and I like all the information we got. But at the same time, like two thirds of the episode up to that point we had to deal with a bunch of weird over the top Sheridan-ness and like the Franklin stuff. And I don't know. It just, it just seems like kind of all over the place, but I like where this is going. So again, I completely agree with what Heidi said. I'm going to give it eight hilarious slaps. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What do you say, Ian? Well, after talking this episode through and hearing the commentary, I've kind of knocked my rating down a little bit because I always remember the great information you get in this episode. The last 15 minutes are incredible and the reveals are brilliant. The I actually do like, even though it's a bit heavy-handed, some of the stuff going on with um, Ministry of Peace and not watch it building towards something and it, it's hinting at things to come, which I'm looking forward to. But Sheridan does go overboard in this, and I've got to knock it down a bit from that. So I'm going to give it eight and a half out of ten, blanking on my rating system here. Uh, Eight and a half out of ten secrets of our time. No, that's an awful rating. (laughs) (laughs) So much pressure. (laughs) No, no, it's... I'm not with it. Um, eight and a half out of ten via waves. <laughs> it's similar to Brian's, but okay. <laughs> Just about. I know it's too similar, but I couldn't think of anything else. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I agree with what Ian said. I had a higher rating in mind, but after talking about it, I kind of feel I need to take it down a little bit, the Sheridan stuff especially. But I did like um, Delenn's long history lesson and you know the beer morden scene just finding just getting more revelations it was all good uh, i'll give the episode nine out of ten borlons backing that ass up how's that when <laughs> <laughs> kosh backed up down the hall <laughs> and and will you mentioned it too i think it deserves talking about delenn and her speeches that she just delivers them, and I, I think that's a very challenging thing, and she does a wonderful job with them every time. Oh, she really does. She, I think she does, definitely. She's, she's got that gravitas about it that 
she cares about what she's talking about. Right. I think JMS said that speech was, what, five pages long or five pages of dialogue. And she did it without crying once. (laughs) Between her and Jakar, I could listen to them, like, just read the phone book and just be enthralled by it. They both had these great voices and these great presence to them. Mm-hmm. So our episode rating is an eight and a half. Let's see. What do we do next? You think I would remember what we, okay. Feedback? <laughs> yeah, feedback. Um, what are we going to take to feedback land though? I don't know. That's what I'm trying to come up with. <laughs> <laughs> Icarus? Yeah, let's take the Icarus to feedback land. <laughs> let's take the Icarus to feedback land and hope we don't wake up anything. First, we have a new iTunes review from Spiral Monk. and Oh, that's tiny. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is the smallest font I've ever seen. (laughs) For fans new and old alike, a perfect B5 podcast. This podcast group is a combination of old and new viewers to B5, and they are dedicated. They are so dedicated, the newbies aren't even allowed to look at the credits at some points, so they don't get... (laughs) So they don't spoil anything. Getting their initial reaction is great and very, a very enthusiastic group for a great show for sci-fi and non-sci-fi fans alike. Tremendous. Thank you, Spiral Monk. Thank you. Sorry, I took a screenshot of that and the text was so small. I was having trouble reading it. It's tiny, tiny font. Yes. Thanks for the five stars as well. Yeah. Our next piece of feedback is an email from Bob. Who wants to take that? Okay. From Bob. Wow, this is a really good episode. It has been obvious that B5 does some long-term planning in terms of story arcs, but they're really, they really come into play in this episode as we learn about all sorts of things, including Sheridan Wife's death, the shadows, why Kosh is so important and the Vorlons know so much, and the question that Delenn has asked about Kosh earlier. <gasps> Sorry, that was all one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> it makes an important storyline like the Narn Centauri War seem insignificant in comparison. This could have been the season finale and I would have been perfectly happy with it and annoyed at having to wait for the next season. So maybe just as well. It wasn't, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Bob. Um, Bob. Uh, I hope I didn't butcher that too badly, but there were a lot of commas and not many full stops. <laughs> See, our next piece of feedback is a comment from Board 99. Who wants to do that one? Uh, I could do that. Cool. Okay. Um, I think it's been a while since I mentioned how much I was enjoying the podcast. Oh, thanks. But that last episode was a particularly good one. Oh. As for In the Shadow of Zaha Doom, wait, did Sheridan just become interesting? (laughs) How did that happen? (laughs) I think this is indeed the episode in which B5 lands on the trick to making Sheridan a positive asset to the story, as distinct from not getting in the way. It lies in embracing the fact that Sheridan really isn't complicated, deep, or much like a realistic person at all. (laughs) He really is just a heroic space captain. He could be the marshal in some 50s TV show set in the Old West. It is breathtakingly easy to imagine him saying, shucks. (laughs) So the thing to do is to put Sheridan in stories that explore what's attractive or not about that kind of figure. 
In the Shadow of Zaha Doom is an important story because it serves to establish early in the character's history that there are very unattractive things about it. It shows that Sheridan is only beneficial and admirable elsewhere in the story because he inhabits a plot that is arranged to make his rock-hard moral certainty a positive feature. He's this close to being a fanatic and an authoritarian, and importantly, it's Garibaldi, who's perhaps the furthest from Sheridan-esque perfection among the major human characters, who calls Sheridan on, who calls Sheridan on it. Because let's face it, there's something a little fascist about heroic space captains. And when I say a little, I mean very. <laughs> B5 has loads of characters, Londo, Jakar, Delenn, that are complex and flawed. It has room for one who isn't, and Sheridan, by being essentially a character from a different type of show entirely, illuminates the others by contrast. Nice comment board. I uh, really hadn't yeah. taken it that way before, no. Yeah, very good. Uh, thank you, Ford. Thanks, Ford. Our next piece of feedback is an email from Victor. All right, I'll take that one. This was a really good one. In the shadow of cue ominous music, Zaha Doom, <laughs> is the episode where plot lines collide. First, we get to see Veer making conversation with our favorite boy band refugee. (laughs) When Morden asks Veer his infamous what do you want question, Veer's response had something to do with Morden's head being placed on a pike. And that's friendly diplomatic Veer talking. (laughs) The fun really starts when Garibaldi recognizes Morden from the manifest of the ill-fated Icarus. So Sheridan has Morden detained and begins interrogating him. He goes from smiling captain to partner on the law in these here parts, and I do as I please. <laughs> Garibaldi and Ivanova try to tell him that's against regulations, but they are subordinates, so he can brush them off. Veer insists on the release of Morden, but Veer is a lightweight, well, figuratively speaking, anyway. So Sheridan can dismiss him, but when Delenn and Gasp Kosh demand Morden's release, they are heavyweights, and Sheridan can't ignore them. We also get to meet an official from Earth whose title is Regional Director of the Ministry of Peace. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see the assistant to the Regional Director of the Ministry of Peace. (laughs) Yeah, does he have a... Or assistant uh, director. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, does he have a Skinner he's got to report to? (laughs) I was thinking more of white. (laughs) Yeah. All right. And maybe there's a um, ex-pals department of the Ministry of Peace. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that can't be good. Zach joins their organization, Nightwatch, because it pays an extra 50 credits per week. When Sheridan asks him, Zach says he doesn't know much about 20th century history. No kidding. If he did, he probably wouldn't join a group that makes him wear a black armband. <laughs> this episode moves the story forward as Delenn fills us in on the history of the Vorlons in the last war with the Shadows. And probably for the first time, Kosh says something understandable. <laughs> <laughs> This is a milestone episode. Um, There is one revelation after another and the foreshadowing of plenty more to come. So it all adds up to a well-deserved 10 surprisingly lucid Vorlons out of 10. Regards, Victor. Cheers, Victor. Thanks, Victor. A 10 out of 10. That's brilliant. You know, I was just thinking about what Ward said, and I just think that's, yeah, it's true. Like, there are characters on this show that do things, like, for example, Franklin, like, he's coming from his own moral, he's imposing his own moral, um, I don't know, views. And he sees himself as being noble. And when he's not, he's not in anybody else's way, it's fine. But when he gets in somebody's way, it, it just looks bad when you're imposing your own moral views on things. And the same thing with Sheridan 
is it in a way it's the same thing Delenn was doing because like she has her own idea of what's happening and and she became she did this whole conversion thing and it's based on her own moral views and she's changing i don't know her timeline or history and he, she's changing events based on her own um personal I, I don't know if i'm making any sense but i just yeah. i just think that's a really good comment about sheridan this this show is going to echo and you're going to see it more and more is about choices and consequences of each of these characters yeah definitely our next email is from Lori. I'll take this one. Hello, ambassadors, commanders, and visitors to the station. The Lurker's Guide starts by saying, nope, this episode is more momentous than most. I think <laughs> we would agree with that. Nice. Yeah, it was warning people, like, you may not want to read anymore because there's spoilers. I mean, every entry has spoilers, but I guess this would be, this episode would be more spoilery than others. Mm-hmm. We were spoiled that Morden was in this episode from the dvd images so carl was looking forward to it the opening scene with morden was very powerful he plays the creepy part so well the smile and the eyes he looked like he just wanted to eat up beer beer played it so well and was very cool and skeptical when morden asked what do you want he got the only reply so far that has actually stood up to him go veer the quote and wave were priceless so after they revealed that morden had been on the icarus carl predicted that either, number one, he had miraculously escaped in a pod, but did not think this was very likely. Number two, Morden was behind it all and had arranged for it to be destroyed. Or three, that he died and the space spiders are using his likeness in some way to represent him. What do the ambassadors think? Hmm. I don't think any of those. I mean, yeah. I no, think I, I, it depends on if we're supposed to be taking what Caution Delenn said as fact. Yeah, and I kind of am, maybe mm-hmm. whether I'm supposed to be or not. Because how would they know, I guess, is the question that they answered in a book. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. The cinematography during the interrogation scene was very effective. Carl particularly liked the use of light and shadow. During the interrogation, we noted that Morden did not seem scared. Carl thinks that he does know what he is and, is, and so is not worried about his own safety. When Sheridan finally releases him and says it was all a mistake, do you think Morden bought it? It seemed a flimsy excuse. Yeah, well, I, I think Morden like, definitely knows what he's doing. I mean, because we've seen him talking to them, so. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's, I think that he's aligned with the most powerful beings in the universe, and he's going to do whatever they say. I believe Heidi predicted we would see Talia, and the scene with her and Morden was pretty shocking. We slowed it down to watch frame by frame and thought we saw more than one spider. Talia could obviously see them in the shadow across Morden's face. What do the ambassadors think about why she could? Because of his thoughts? Well, I hadn't really thought about it, but now my brain is going. (laughs) Uh, Looking forward to your discussion regarding the reveals from Delin and Kosh. A couple of final questions for the ambassadors. What kind of information was on the crystal that Morden brought for Londo? What would do with it? I completely yeah. forgot about that. I did too. Um, maybe just where, maybe some more uh, Narn, Narn outposts lie or something like that. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's the only thing I could think. Just information about defeating the Narn. Also, would you have joined the Ministry of Peace for 50 credits a week? It sounded like a good deal for some easy money, though it felt very 1984. No, I would not have. 
I'm not wearing an armband. <laughs> so quotes in case he's remiss. Well, one quote was the beer quote to Morden. And the second one was Kasha's warning about going to Zaha Doom. Ratings, 3.8 big reveals on the zero part system. PS to E, and this is a higher rating. Yeah, I thought so. I was just joking <laughs> last time. I have Alien. no idea what the zero part system is, so. I think zero is what average or yeah maybe just a met episode that he, he doesn't care about one way or the other yeah but how 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 good is 3.8 compared to like 50 <laughs> like i don't know how high the scale goes <laughs> yeah how high does the scale go <laughs> we need instructions on this unless it's <laughs> a um minus five to a plus five scale well, In which then. case, you could just go 0 to 10. I know. <laughs> Alien, Kosh, Human, none of the extras or one-off characters impressed me. Uh, Lori's shredding, 9 out of 10 beer cotto waves. Alien, beer, just great in this episode. Human, Zach, as Sheridan kind of annoyed me and no one else was very prominent. Oh, thanks, Lori. Thanks, Lori, Carl. Yeah, cheers, thanks. Thanks, Carl, for doing the commentary. Our next email is from a first-time feedbacker, Derek. Wants to take that one. Greetings, ambassadors. I will try and send more feedback down the line, but I thought this was a great episode in some ways and wanted to get a few comments in. I noticed on the panel, I believe, when looking at Morton's file, he has a PhD in archaeology. Yeah. He should make everyone call him Dr. Morton instead. <laughs> He may be evil, but he earned that degree. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I am a little sensitive of being halfway through or so my own PhD program. Darn it. Smiley face. <laughs> but when everyone calls him Mr. Morton, he should say, that's Dr. Morton to you, unless the pla- plaque on my wall from the University of Evil says something different. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy Stephen uh, Franklin as much as Will enjoys Talia. I, so a lot then. Yeah. <laughs> I like the late actor Richard Biggs, but his lines are straight from an old soap opera. Which is fitting, I suppose, since he was also a soap opera star. His line this episode should have said, I can see the thousands of Narn in sickbay who died when I closed my eyes, particularly since I invited half of them back to my personal cot in my quarters, <laughs> as I apparently <laughs> fall in love with most of my patients. Ew. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's come up yet or in the future, but there is a scene where he actually says, don't you die on me today, damn you. Not today. Ugh. <laughs> Still a very good information-packed episode with the Sheridan who has lost a few marbles. Human of the week, Dr. Morton, for keeping calm while Sheridan goes off the deep end. Alien of the week, Kosh. Anytime there's a Kosh sighting, he is usually my pick for alien of the week. Today because he is a billion years old. My rating, 7.5 out of 10 vials of tranquilizer that someone needed to inject into Sheridan this episode to calm that man <laughs> down before he popped a blood vessel. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, no, you missed out. He just needed a shot of vitamin C. <laughs> little orange juice, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Thanks, Derek. Thank you, Derek. Oh, thank you, thank Derek. You. Hope you enjoyed that one. Sending us feedback, yeah. Our next email is from Anka. Who wants to take that one? I'll take that one. Oh, those scary smiling shadows. And I don't mean the shadow in Sheridan's face. This episode was a good one. The plot is actually told in a few words. It doesn't need any big space battles to work. 
Sheridan finds out that Creepy Morton had been on board the Icarus together with Sheridan's wife when the same ship apparently exploded. So Sheridan turns anti-hero and gets seemingly the whole station upset with him when he puts Mr. Morton in a holding cell. Creepy Morton, of course, tells a lousy cover story while Sheridan can't do anything about it except for getting more and more upset or trying to lure a telepath into scanning the guy. That's what makes the character of Mr. Borden so great. I love his arrogant behavior when he tells lies straight to, Sheridan, straight to Sheridan's head. Everybody else doesn't understand what Sheridan is doing. Garibaldi wants to save his own behind, Ivanova wants to report him, and Franklin tries to reason with him, while Mr. I am the doctor, so I know what you are going through, <laughs> should rather do some serious reasoning with himself. It needs Delenn and Kosh and a scary bedside story to make Sheridan release the prisoner. Hmm. I liked Sheridan turning mad because of his lost wife and the evidence that somebody from the Icarus had survived. Who would not freak out by that? I loved how he was about to do anything to find answers. When he was reasoning with Ivanova to win her over, he did win me over as well. But then Delenn opens a jar of answers. Apparently, the Icarus crew has woken up the shadows on their home planet, Zahadum. Oops. That's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> and now Sheridan needs to eat the pill he had presented Jakar earlier this season and put his own feelings behind the bigger course. At least he gets a glimpse of what he fights, and this looks definitely like a nightmare. We also learn a massive information about the Vorlons. I mean, Kosh even gets real talky. <laughs> it's an episode with a lot of talking, but the actors are doing an incredible job. Also, Sheridan is really good as Alone Against the Others guy. And then there is Beer... Oh, poor Mr. Morton. <laughs> you should never have asked Veer what he wants. It can be your death, your head on a spike, and a little tiny, tiny hand waving at you. So show us, Eugenie. How do you want to get out of this one? The only thing that bothered me a bit were the naysayers like Garibaldi and company that on one hand sign up for a secret mission against the president of Earth and such, but then they're against it holding a person in custody longer than a few hours. Well, I guess they needed a few opponents to Sheridan, and Garibaldi is a great opponent. Don't get me started on the armband-wearing Ministry of Crap. It is, awful. <laughs> <laughs> it is awfully wrong that I didn't see anybody reacting to it the way they should have. Instead, they take the bribe. Eh, money. Best quote, there is the waving scene, of course, but here's another good one. Sheridan, we're holding him in protective custody, uh, Veer. Protection from what? Sheridan, I haven't decided yet. That was a good one that nobody mentioned. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Hope you go about that one. Yeah. Human of the week, Sheridan. Alien of the week, Veer, Delenn, and Kosh tie because they were all awesome in this. I give it 9 out of 10 Garibaldi's playing it loose. Anka waving from Vancouver. And we're waving back, Anka. Thank you, Andrea. We have one final piece of feedback from Yan on Facebook. Um, the excellent episode with background for, for Sheridan, Mr. Morden, and of course the Vorlons in the shadows, because we have no other name for them. The Night Watch is downright creepy, don't you think? Favorite characters? Human. I'm tempted to go for Mr. Morden, Ivanova as second, and Sheridan as third. Alien, Kosh, the first time we seem to get a straight answer out of Kosh. Rating, 9.5 out of 10 mysterious first ones. This quote was the quote about Kosh being recognized by everyone. Yeah, thank you, Yan. Thanks, Yan. Cheers, Yan, for rounding out the 
feedback section. And the Icarus hasn't crashed yet. We're all still surviving. Have <laughs> <laughs> been awakened any old alien creatures? Well, I think we've uh, awakened speculation. Uh, yes, well, if you want to send us feedback, send that to mail at downbelowpodcast.com or leave us comment on Facebook or our website. And if you like what you hear, head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Please. So now it's time for ratings. You mean predictions? I mean, predictions. Going back in time, like I have to do the walkthrough. <laughs> um, can I ask a question before we get into predictions? Sure. For Heidi and Elizabeth, with all this information with Kosh and the first ones, how much of this did you kind of anticipate, and how much was this out of left field for you too? I had mean, no idea. The uh, which part of it, like just the fact that he shows up and talks just about things, like or? that Kosh was an ancient one. And- oh, well, it's not surprising, but at the same time, I didn't think about it. You know what I mean? Right. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, the thought never crossed my mind, but it makes total sense. Yeah. Sorry, I was just curious. You guys can go ahead now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the name of the next episode is Knives. Um, <laughs> Scissorhand shows up. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. Sheridan gets a new knife set. <laughs> cuts himself. So... It's another cooking episode. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um. So, like, people are walking on knife. Like, I'm just gonna go with the metaphor, like, um, walking on a razor's edge type of thing, you know, or like, not knowing which way to go or which way to step. I I have nothing. Um, <laughs> Londo and Jakar each hold a knife to each other's throats. No. Okay, overall predictions? <laughs> yeah. So what episode? Episode is going to be episode 17? Right. Episode? Okay, so that means there's only like six left. Five? Yeah, six. Should be five episodes left. It goes to 22. So six. Six, yeah. yeah. Five after next week. Right. Six, yeah. Okay, so... Um, I feel like I should have a whole lot of predictions, but, um, I'm really just trying to, like, digest all the information that we got this week. <laughs> yeah. I know, it's because it's like, there's like two, I'm sure they come together, but, like, we have two sets of different things. We have, like, the Ministry of Peace type stuff, and then we have the Shadows, and I'm sure at some point they'll come together. I, I don't know exactly how, of course, but... I'm I'm actually really interested in both of those um, storylines. I love the whole idea of this sort of, I'm assuming Psychor-backed, fascist type 1984 government. Um, you know, in 1984, everything was opposite of what the name was. So, like, the Ministry of Peace was actually running the war and that kind of thing. And, and so, if it is a reference to 1984, then it's definite means the opposite of what it is. Do you guys have any predictions on why everyone would recognize Kosh? Uh, that's a that's a really tough one because, like, I can see, I could see like maybe certain races recognizing him. Say like, I don't know, maybe he's like an image of deity or something in like certain certain races and certain cultures, but not everyone. 
maybe people see maybe people see different things when they see them like different people see different things that's an interesting thought yeah and then whatever they see they would recognize as i don't know their deity or whatever it is i don't know so do you think that kosh can see the future and that's why he knows that if sheridan goes to zaha doom he will die or is it just if anyone goes to zaha doom they will die so it doesn't matter I don't know. I mean, there, there's been things that he said where it seems like he could see the path that people are on or the path that... So it it almost seems like he has the ability to see what could happen or what will happen if certain things keep going down a certain path. Maybe in his reality, time is not a dimension. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to get into it. I guess I'm not a scientist. But um, I, I could see where like, he might have a, a sense of what could happen what would happen if somebody did something but then again they always do that in shows where like somebody can see something but then it turns out that it doesn't happen that way so yeah well and we've seen uh like the centauri psychic or whatever you know with the with the predictions and stuff so it happens in this universe yeah exactly that's true and i'm just like how the centauri and narn fit into this so i guess like the centauri so that is distracting different worlds from think from thinking about the shadows. So this whole Centauri Narn war is like a distraction kind of thing. And I think also to kind of um, lower their forces, you know, because they're killing each other off. So when the shadows actually say come out to take out everybody. Maybe Earth has joined the war, maybe the Membari have joined the war, and then they've, like, all decimated each other's troops. And so there's, like, less to fight the shadows when they do come. Mm-hmm. Do you think Earth is going to join the war? That's that's the question that I have. Mm-hmm. You know, in what, in what context? Because, I mean, obviously you would say, of course, you know, Earth will join the war, but then they're doing all this stuff with Earth in the background where it's just... Yeah, well, it's like whoa. I I feel like the Mimbari have been set up to join the war, where we've got more warriors in the council now. Yeah, so I feel like they're definitely on the path. And yeah. since we're making World War Two references, where's going to be the Pearl Harbor that brings Earth into it? You know? Mm. Yeah, Mars, Mars goes. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I definitely see a lot of World War Two references. It's interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. But then they have that whole thing with the, like the, um, oh, what was his face? The guy that became. Oh, yeah. I feel like that's going to come into it, too. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's, maybe Talia can see Morden's shadowness because she has a little bit of that gift or something. True. Dr. Morden, so. <laughs> <laughs> PhD. <laughs> I don't know, this is a, this is a lot of stuff to to you know have i don't know i'm just really excited about what's happening what's coming yeah me too especially when we're coming towards the end of the season yeah and it's and it's happening like six episodes before the end so i feel like we're gonna get good stuff Mm -hmm. you know not like the second to last episode or something yeah it it speeds up too as the seasons go along like we're season one we got chunks of information and now we're starting to can see build faster and faster yeah yeah uh, you, you're definitely getting forward momentum here, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Uh, We've got that before, though, and it hasn't necessarily sped up the next episode. So I'm hoping that's 
it's not going to be the case. This, you know, I hope it's going to continue from where we left off. Yeah, because honestly, the title "Knives" makes me think it's like a one-off episode, yeah, of just some random thing, and I'm hoping not. I'm hoping not as well, unless it's really good. Well, right. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Gosh, there's there's just so many things that have happened that it's hard to put it all together. Yeah, we actually did way more predicting here than uh, I was expecting. It helps to definitely both be here to bounce ideas. Yeah, exactly. Okay, do you think that Sheridan's wife will show up again? Yes. Me too. I think maybe I she's why. another in the same situation as Borden. Maybe yeah. she's working for them. Yeah, that would be awesome. She's over on some other planet or somewhere asking people, what do you want? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, Brian, thank you for joining well, us this week. Thank Brian. you, guys. It was an honor. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's pretty good to have you on. Yeah, you should come on again. I'm yeah, I'm going to be ready for season three. I'm already starting to pick out my episodes. So. Uh, <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> you all. I think I know which one is going to be. He's going to come in exactly when it opens. Yeah. Really yeah. good. <laughs> Everyone's getting excited uh, for when you're going to post the um, sign-up. So. January, like... Maybe a month from now or less. Oh, you're really teasing everyone with that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I actually did have a date picked out. I just can't remember what it is right now. Well, there's still a few more se- or episodes this season, so it's yeah. understandable. Yeah. yeah, I know, but it's people like you really want to sign up for season three. And yeah, we're re- I think with an episode like this, you get excited for what's to come and just want to get there as soon as quick possible. Well, and I, I can say this, I can honestly, there's there's at least five episodes I'd love to do in season three. So I'm excited about this next upcoming season. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, season three, we're moving our recording time to 4 a.m. Just, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> just let y'all know, if y'all want to sign up, it's going to be at 4 a.m. <laughs> still do it. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> I'll be the only one here. I'm kidding. <laughs> so, Brian, is there somewhere we can find you out on the internet? I'm in the Facebook group, and I'm pretty dull. I don't have, like, a big <laughs> blog or anything exciting like that. But, yeah, in the Facebook group. Yeah. Right, cool. Cool. Well, thanks. Well, thank you, guys. Wow, I guess that's it, then. It's a good episode. Um, We'll see you folks in one week's time for Nice. But until then, take care and goodbye. Be seeing you. Bye. Look for us on the web in iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. Also, downbelowpodcast.com, facebook.com slash group slash downbelowpodcast, and twitter.com slash downbelowcast.